thanks for the wonderful introduction. Um, I'm not going to be before you, you long on this morning. We'll have you out of here. I know you guys, guys got to go to work about at least 1030. And, um, and we'll have you out of here. Let, let, let us bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We give you the glory and the honor. We thank you for these men, God, um, that you've brought up um, on today to come out, God, Lord, and just to, to fellowship and to hear a word from you. God, use me in a mighty way, God, that lives will be impacted, God, for your kingdom. We thank you for this great relationship, for this great partnership that you've orchestrated, God, Lord, with uh, youth visions, God, and, and second press. Order our steps. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, again, it's an honor to be here on the day. I want to talk to you today um, from Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, open it to Luke chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 25 through 35. I want to talk to you today about being salty. God calls us to be the salt of the earth. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 35. And verse 25 says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He wasn't meaning that you, you got to literally hate them, but saying compared to, to what I've called you to, it'll be compared to hate. The first commandment is have no other gods before me. So I'm number one. And if you put anything before me, that's not good. Verse 28, it says, suppose one of you want to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he does not, if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for manure pile. It's neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And then he goes to say, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's a blessing to be here. And before I get into the text, I just want to share a little bit about my life and, 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 and where I came from. And it's a blessing to have so many men here and to be able to minister to, to men and to share with, with men and and we don't have to hold back with men. And I already took my towel, so we're going to share with, with the brothers. Amen? Amen. 
I come from a single parent household, the youngest of five. All of my brothers uh, did time. They, they were locked up. And so the youngest of five, seeing so many negative things growing up, I didn't understand at that time how it would impact my life. I didn't know that what I was seeing is not what I was supposed to see because I was a product of my environment. And so people that I grew up with, these are the type of things that, that we saw. We saw criminal activity, gang banging. We saw so much uh, sin in our own household that these things were, were natural for me. I saw my mother use drugs and I saw her use drugs with my brothers. Um, she had men in and out of the household. She, she gambled. And I mean, and just so seeing these things, I, I, I had a lot of respect for my mother, still have a lot of respect for her because I saw that she still went the extra mile for, for her kids. And so it was the ultimate respect for, but I didn't know that this would affect my life and, and how I viewed women and how I viewed life and, and, and how I viewed certain situations. So all of my brothers did time and they were on uh, crack cocaine and used marijuana and they were constantly in and out of jail and I saw how it affected my mother and I said, mother, I'm gonna make a commitment to you that I'm not going to jail. I'm gonna do something positive with my life. All of my brothers did time, but I'm going to college, and I'm going to make you proud of me. I was the first person in my family to attend college. Now, I hung around guys that sold drugs and hung around guys that were involved in criminal activities, but I didn't get involved in it as a kid. But I hung around these guys. And so I ended up going to college, the first person in my family to attend college. And my first year in college, I didn't sell any drugs. I hung around guys that sold drugs and I played football and I felt that, that sports was my way out. My sophomore year in college, some guys that I was hanging around, they said, if you sell marijuana and you're incarcerated, then it's a misdemeanor. But if you sell crack cocaine and you get locked up, then it's a felony charge. I started selling marijuana. He gave me $25. A friend of mine gave me $25 worth of marijuana. I flipped it and, and got $50 and flipped it and we got $100 worth and start selling quarter pounds of marijuana and half pounds. And, and so here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a drug dealer selling pounds of marijuana in college. My junior year in college, it was 1994. I remember buying a 1995 vehicle. We had a lot of women. We had a lot of money. We traveled. We did whatever we wanted to do. We felt that we was above the law. My junior year in college, I heard a loud noise at the door. Boom, boom, boom. Didn't know who it was or what it was. I tried to grab my gun. Had I grabbed it, I wouldn't be standing before you on the day. It was the police, the narcotics. Get on the floor. Let me see your hands. Get on the floor. Let me see your hands. And they saw my hands, and I thought that they were going to kill me because while they had the guns on me, they continued to say, let me see your hands. Had never been in any trouble. But we were caught with $5,600, two and a half pounds of marijuana and two guns. And we got locked up. And when we were locked up, it was me and a guy that uh, was selling drugs with me. We were locked up and we got out three days later. And we got out with the Tupac syndrome. Some of you may know about Tupac. Some of your kids may know about Tupac. Tupac was this gangster rapper back in the 90s that was killed. He was shot five times before he got shot the second time. He was shot five times and he didn't die that time and he said them busters those people they shot me five times but because I'm so real I'm still living because I'm the man because I have it going on because I'm such a man real people don't die and so he lived and then later he was killed in 1996 and that was our mentality because we're so real because it's something about us we're not going to jail and so 
we had a felony charge because they, they told me that anything, if you sell marijuana, it's a misdemeanor, but if you sell crack, then it's a felony. But they didn't tell me that anything over a half a pound was a felony charge. And so here I am with a felony charge on my record, running with these guys and listening to what they said to me and making decisions that I made. And so I continued to sell drugs because I felt that I had to sell drugs. I felt that now I had court costs, fines, lawyer fees, and so I have to sell drugs. And so I wasn't even going to touch the drugs. I was going to have my friends that was going to sell the drugs for me, and I was just going to be a drug dealer. I planned to buy a club or buy a restaurant when I got out of college and pay off student loans and, and stop selling drugs. And my senior year in college, I mean, it was... I wasn't even around the drugs, so I had a plan, so I couldn't get caught. I wasn't touching the drugs. So I'm buying a 1996 when it's 1995, living large. I mean, we were living, we were traveling, we were going to Daytona Beach, the Freak Nick, doing whatever had however many women. We did whatever we wanted to do. And my senior year in college, I came to Memphis, Tennessee to set up a drug deal. And the guy that I was setting a drug deal up with was working with the feds. It was five days prior to me graduating from college. I was already on probation from one charge. And here I am in Memphis setting up a drug deal in Frazier and picked up a second charge. We was in a Walgreens parking lot and, and we came out of the store and, and some undercover police had the guns on some of the guys who was going to take the drugs back to Jackson to distribute the drugs. And they said, get on the floor, get on the floor, let me see your hands. And I thought about grabbing the gun so that they could kill me because I was already on probation. I felt that my life was over. I need to just grab this gun and let them kill me. I'm on probation. I'm getting ready to graduate. And here I am on my way to to be locked up again, just let them kill me. Just, just run, do something so that they, they can kill me because I can't face what's about to take place. So praise God, I didn't grab the gun and we were locked up and see this time, they said put a hold on them for the U.S. Marshals because the first time it was a felony charge. They said put a hold on them for the U.S. Marshals. It wasn't a misdemeanor charge, it wasn't a felony charge, but it was a federal charge. We were caught with 101 pounds of marijuana, $17,600, and two guns. They said, put a hold on them for the U.S. Marshals. We went to court, a judge by the name of Judge Ann Pierce, she said, you don't even have a bond. Because our plan was to pay our bond, to get out of jail, and to continue to sell drugs. So she said, you don't have a bond. In other words, if you had Oprah Winfrey's money or Bill Gates' money, we don't care about your money, sir. We care about you. So you cannot get out of jail. And my question was, how much is our bond so we can pay our bond? Because it didn't matter what the bond was. We're going to pay it and we're going to get out of jail. How much is the bond? Sir, you don't understand. You don't have a bond. You have a federal charge and they have to come from Mason, Tennessee to pick you up. We don't even need to deal with you. And so I went back to my cell and reality began to kick in. Because God had been dealing with me a year prior to, and reality kicked in. And God was letting me know to call on my God to get me out. Because, see, my money was my God. The women I was sleeping with was my God. My friends were my God. The jewelry was my God. The vehicles were my God. My clothes, those things were my God. And God was showing me, I want you to call on your God to get you out of this situation. And it was as if I was in hell. Because he showed me all of these things. And nothing happened. And nothing could get me out. Nothing could set me free. And I got on my knees and I said, God, if you get me out of this place, I'll stop selling drugs. But nothing happened. Because it wasn't about the drugs. 
See, a year prior to, I had been reading my Bible because God had been dealing with me, and I'd get back to that. So I was reading my Bible, and I knew about Paul and Silas, and I knew that they prayed in the prison shook, and I said, God, I need you to do that Paul and Silas thing that you did back then. The circumstance was a little bit different, but I didn't care. I just want you to do, because I know of you. I read about you. Don't really know you, but I know what you did with Paul and Silas. They was in jail, and you got them out. Do that for me. So nothing happened because it wasn't about the drugs. It wasn't about me selling drugs. It was my life. And I got on my knees and I began to pray again. I said, God, I surrender my life to you now. While I was praying, the bailiff came. The bailiff said, you have a visit. The visit was the bail bondsman. The bail bondsman said that the feds have dropped the charges. So it didn't mean that the case was completely exonerated. It just meant that it was reduced from a federal charge to a felony charge. So we had a $50,000 bond that we paid and we got out of jail. Ended up graduating from college. And so I knew that it was God because there was no way that it was anyone else but God. And I, I surrendered my life to God. And I was telling everybody because I, I was incarcerated with five other guys. And I was telling everybody, I said, man, God did it. God brought us out. It was God. Well, man, we was going to get out anyway, man. It, you know, I said, no, 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 God did it. Well, they didn't have anything on us. Man, what you mean they didn't have anything on? They had a 101 pounds of marijuana on us. They had a lot on us. Well, man, we, and I just was going hard for Jesus, telling everybody about Jesus. I would tell the dog, the cat, the rat. Whoever about Jesus, just on fire for God. So we were going back and forth to court for a year and a half. Had a judge friend, actually. He said, I don't even give probation. So he said, you must be a fool asking me for probation while you already on probation because I don't even give probation. Going back and forth to court. In the midst of that, God saved my mother. God saved a couple of my brothers. God was just saving people around me. He was using my life to touch their lives. And I was excited about that. And we went to court. And to make a long story short, I was locked up with five other guys. They took the stand before me. The judge locked all of them up. I was the ringleader. I was the one who set up the drug deal. I took the stand. He said, I want to hear your story. I said, Your Honor, I, I, I was a drug dealer. He said, what were you going to do with all of that money? I said, Your Honor, I was going to buy drugs to sell drugs because I was a drug dealer. Well, how did you get the money? Your Honor, I I got the money from previous drug deals because I was a drug dealer. I said, but a year and a half ago, Jesus Christ saved my life. I said, you know, and so it doesn't take 201 Poplar or the penal form to rehabilitate me because God has already rehabilitated me. I mean, so not only am I not a drug dealer, Your Honor, I'm, I'm saved. I, I know Jesus. He said, you know what? God is no more on your side than he is on my side. He took a recess and he came back out from, from the chamber and he had a piece of paper and he started hitting himself in the head with his paper. And he said, I don't know why I'm about to do what I'm about to do. But I'm going to give you some more probation and I'm going to give you a probation officer. You're not going to like him and he's not going to like you. And, you know, he just kept on talking. I didn't hear anything else that he said. We just started praising God in the courtroom. So they had to kick us out of the courtroom because God gave us another chance. And it was because of his grace, his undeserved goodness that he allowed me another chance. And so about a month prior to then, I started in ministry. I was serving ministry, and I wanted to serve young people who come from a similar situation um, that I came from. And we began to do ministry, and a couple of years ago, uh, our ministry model changed. 
And we begin to invest in, in, in leaders. We begin to invest in kids that we call our fat kids, our faithful, available, and teachable kids to change the whole paradigm. And here's some of our fat kids right here. Stand up, fat kids. Stand up. <laughs> Amen. You have a seat. They fat young adults now. So a lot of times I wait before I tell them what fat means. And people are like, okay, is he just going to call them fat like that? But, and so we changed our model to the Jesus model. We'll talk about that. Um, but we, we changed it to the Jesus model to where we invest in the top percent of kids in our ministry, the kids that have shown themselves to be faithful, available, and teachable. And since they were in the seventh and eighth grade, we began to pour our lives into their lives and empower them to pour their lives into the kids in the community lives. And it's been a paradigm shift in, in, our, in our community, at our schools. And I thank God for, for strong men of God like these men that have taken on that challenge and that's infecting their homes, their communities, and their schools with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I thank God for these young men. And so, started doing ministry in, in 1997. Last year, we had a staff meeting, and, and, and we shared this, and it almost blew our mind. Because out of all the years in doing and looking at scriptures, I really never saw this at, from this perspective. In verse 33, it says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. He says, salt is good, but if salt loses saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He said that it's not fit for the soil. If the salt loses saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's not fit for the soil. It's not fit for the dirt. He said, nor is it fit for the manure pile. It's not fit for doo-doo. My God. He said, it's not fit. If the salt loses saltiness, it's not even fit for the doo-doo. It's not fit for it. You're not good for doo-doo. If, because it doesn't have any salt. Now, in the Middle East, the salt has a lot of purposes, but in the Middle East, it, it had two purposes, and one was to preserve food. Because of a lack of refrigeration, salt was used to preserve food, especially because meat would quickly spoil in the desert environment. And as believers in Christ, we're to preserve the world from its evil inherent in the society of ungodly men whose unredeemed natures are corrupted by sin. So that's what, what we're used for. God said, I want you to be salt. I want you to, to, to be preservatives. I want you to preserve this world, this evil and sinful world. I want my people, my people. You are my hands and you are my feet. He said, I want you to, pre to preserve this world. And the second thing, it was used for as a flavor enhancer. It was used for then and it's used for now as a, as a flavor enhancer. Have you ever tasted anything and, and it didn't have any, you knew that it needed some salt and it didn't have any salt on it and it was bland and you just, you didn't want it because it didn't have any flavor. It had no season on it. And that's what Jesus is saying. He said, I want you to be flavor. I want you to impact wherever you go. I want you to impact your community. I want you to impact your church. I want you to impact your family, your kids, your wife. He said, you're the salt of the earth. He said, and if your salt loses saltness, how can it be made salty again? I've called you to be salt. 
I've called you to make a difference. I've called you to be impactful. And when I got a hold of this, I said, my God, because I'm not being salty enough and we're not being salty enough. We live in this adulterous and sinful generation that's dying. And we're not representing Jesus how he need to be represented. And we're afraid and we're, we're talking about, we're more concerned about politics than we, than we are about the Bible and than we are about Jesus and, and, and what the word of God says. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want you to love me more than anything else. And I want you to count up the cost. And I want you to be the salt of the earth. You are the salt. And he wants to be salt in our conversations. Salt in our lives. Our organization needs to be different if we're not there. Because we're salt. Our homes need to be different and affected because we're not there. Our community should be different if we're not there. Because we are the salt. We give the flavor. We season it. He called us to be different. The gangbangers are not afraid to represent the gangs. The Crips and the Bloods, they're not afraid. They represent and they represent to the fullest. The homosexual environment, they're not afraid. When our kids go off to universities, the professors are not afraid to challenge our kids. But a lot of times we get lost in the shuffle and we don't want to, to challenge anybody. And, well, that's them and this is me. And, and we have to begin to take a stand for Jesus. We don't have to argue with people, but to take a stand. This is what I believe. And to be salty, if we truly believed the word of God and we believed that, that Jesus is who he say he is, then we need to be sharing it. We need to be sharing it. Our lights need to, to shine. He said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. If we truly believe it, because because I truly believe it, I didn't want my mother dying and go to hell. I didn't want that. I shared Jesus with her. I shared Jesus with my brothers because I believe the word of God is the word of God. And I believe that without him, we don't have eternal life. And if we believe that, he said, then, then be salty. Then do something about it. Then do something about what we believe. He called us to be the salt of the earth. I know a lot of times, not any of us, just other men, they struggle with a lot of, you know, sin and lust and sexual issues. Not us. None of us struggle with that. I know not me. I don't know about you guys. I have no struggles at all, period. I don't think about anything that's carnal ever. <laughs> and so we understand that, that, that the enemy won't, the men, that throughout scriptures, it was the men that he wanted. If I can get the men, I can get the house. If I can get the house, I can get the community. I, I want you. I, I want you. I want your seed. I want the men. I challenged that kid. I think one, one, of the, one of the most, I guess, impactful commercials that I've seen in a while is that direct TV commercial. And it talks about um, when you don't have cable, when you have cable, you get frustrated. I, I, I think they did a fantastic job with that commercial. When you don't have cable, you get frustrated. And when you get frustrated, you want to take out your frustration. And when you want to take out your frustration, you, they started playing racquetball. 
and you end up getting an accident. When you get an accident, you get an eye patch. And when you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. And when people think you're tough, they want to know how tough. And when they want to know how tough, you end up in a roadside ditch. Don't end up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable. I was like, man, these guys are hilarious. And I thought about that. And guys, that's what sin does to us. I mean, it takes us from here to here to here. And I challenge our, our, our team all the time that we have to, to preserve and we have to be careful that we're being salted, that we're staying away from sinful conversations. We're staying away from things that, that, that draw us into sin because, see, the world is looking at us and we can't say, you know, I'm, I'm saved, but, but no one knows that we're saved. I'm not telling you to go to your job and start laying hands on people and casting out devils and saying, hey, look, I'm saved. You got to get Jesus. You're going to die and go to hell. But I'm saying in your life, in your walk, in your conversation, people need to know that we are men of God. They need to know that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. They need to know that he's the Lord of our lives. We have to represent it. And when we're cursing, when, we're, when our lives are not lined up with the word of God, the world is eating us up. When we're dividing in the body of Christ, the world is tearing us up. If we can't come together as a city from black and white, the world is eating that up. And we have to get to a point to say, what is it really about? Is it really about Jesus? And if it's really about Jesus, we must understand that we have to be the salt and represent Jesus, in what we say, I play basketball with our kids. I hang out when Jesus hung out with people. He didn't just hang out to be hanging out, but he hung out with sinners and he hung out with sinners for a reason, because he wanted the sinners to know him. So they were under they didn't understand. Man, why is this man hanging with these sinners? He didn't just do it. Just I'm just you know, I'm just hanging out with him. He did it with a purpose. He was intentional about why he hung out. He hung out with him, but he was very intentional. So when I'm with unbelievers, I'm very intentional about why I'm with unbelievers. I'm not just blending in with unbelievers. They may talk about sin and talk about who they had sex with. And, and I may listen to that, but I'm listening because I'm going to eventually get the conversation to come back around to Jesus Christ and to about what I used to do and how I used to live my life. But man, when God saved me, I'm going to tell you what happened to, to at least share my faith with him. If he doesn't get saved to share what I believe, to share what God has done in my life, to share why I don't watch rated R movies, to share why I don't watch this. Because Job said I made a covenant with my eyes. So it's a reason that I don't watch these things. It's a reason, man, that when they walk past, I see what you see. She looked good just like she, she looked good to me, just like she looked good to you. But there's a reason that I'm trying not to look because I understand that that look leads to somewhere else. And I'm trying to keep myself pure. I'm trying to keep myself clean. And so I'm trying to be salty in all of my endeavors. Stay away from sinful conversation, men. This is my direct TV commercial. Stay away from sinful conversations. When you're involved in sinful conversations, you want to do sinful things. When you want to do sinful things, you, you want to watch sinful things. And when you want to watch sinful things, you download pornography. When you download pornography, you want to do what you just downloaded. And when you want to do what you just downloaded, you masturbate or sleep with someone that's not your wife. Don't masturbate or sleep with someone that's not your wife. Stay out of sinful conversations. That's my direct TV commercial. 
And so we have to understand that we are salt of the earth. Y'all, we went down to New Orleans last year with um, Andrew and Second Press, and, and um, our leadership teams went together. And when we went to the different locations in New Orleans, I mean, people were looking this is, I mean, what, what is this? I mean, these people are working together. It's not suburban coming to the inner city and serving in the inner city. It's suburban and inner city serving together. And, and, and they hadn't seen that, and it was, it was unique and it was different. And we actually forgot that, I mean, we didn't think about, okay, we with these white kids and we with these black kids. We, we were serving because we've done that and we've built relationship over time. And so we didn't even think about it because we were intentional about our relationship. Now, we address the elephant in the room. Andrew, you white, I'm black, and we talk about it. Let's talk about Trayvon Martin. Let's deal with the elephant in the room. Let's talk. We went to the Civil Rights Museum together, so we didn't skirt around the issue like he's not white and we're not black and, and we're not different about certain things. We talked about it. And we were transparent. And Myron, I don't understand why your kids do this. Well, Andrew, I don't understand why your kids do this. But this is, this is what we have together in common. And guys, it was a thing of beauty when we went down to New Orleans because the thing that we saw that was similar is that our kids had seen issues. And they talked about their seeing issues. They talked about how they needed their families and they, they needed um, just involvement. They needed community. And they struggled with the same things. And there was a powerful moment down in New Orleans. And when we were there, we weren't just there just to work, but we were there to be salty and to, to bring salt to New Orleans, to add flavor to New Orleans. We were down on a river, and there was a man on the river named Catfish. He was, I mean, could have been in his 50s. It looked like he was in his hundreds, you know, like he was a 1,000 years old. And, and he was really sick. And he said that he had a liver disease, or he said that the doctors gave him a short time to live. And to see our kids gather around this man and become interested in what he had to talk about. I mean, he was like, he was drunk on top of drunk. And to, to hear what he had to talk about and to be able to witness to him and to share with him and to give him an opportunity to respond to the gospel and to pray with him, it was a thing of beauty. I don't know whether catfish is dead I don't know whether Catfish truly accepted Jesus Christ in his life, but that's not our business whether he truly accepted him. That's God's business. Our business is to share Christ. Our business is to be salt. Our business is to take the opportunities to give Christ to a dying world. That is our business. And to see these kids share their faith with people that they didn't know was a thing of beauty. To see their concern, to see them gather around, to see them saying we're concerned about this guy was a thing of beauty. He's called us to be salt. He's called us to add flavor. He's called us to be impactful. And a lot of times when, the, when we get saved, the house gets saved. When we change, the house change. When we're different, things are different. Called us to be the salt of the earth. I was reading one of my favorite authors, uh, Jawanza Kunjuf, and he, he talks about five types of, of daddies. And he said one of the first daddies is the sperm donor daddy. And the sperm donor daddy, he's just there for a couple of seconds because he donates his sperm and he's out. And kids don't know him, they don't see him because he's just the sperm donor dad. And the second dad that he talks about was 
the no-show daddy. The no-show daddy tells his kids that he's going to be there, but he doesn't show up. The no-show daddy can be in the house with his kids, but he just doesn't show up. His kids are, 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 are yearning and longing for a relationship with him, but he doesn't show up. Or he may show up to the game, but, but he doesn't show up in when it really matters. He doesn't show up in the spiritual areas of, of their lives. He's a no-show daddy. He just, he doesn't, he doesn't show up. He says that, look, isn't it enough that I provide for this house? Isn't it enough that you're getting ready to go to school at Ole Miss? Isn't it enough that, that this is what I bring to the table? And if you guys want me to bring all of this to the table, then, you know, and, and, and be there and, and, and speak, then you're not going to have these opportunities that we have as a family. And so they put their careers over th- their relationship with their kids. And so this is the no-show dad. He's, he's missing in action. Then he talks about the ice cream daddy. The ice cream daddy, when the child does something good, he buys them ice cream. Or he gets them a present. Or he gets them a car. He's the ice cream daddy. He, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll do this for you, but, but I'm not really going to be involved in your life. We don't have a, a relationship. I didn't impart spiritual things in your life. What really matters? My wife is pregnant with our first boy. Amen. And I prayed, and I prayed the Tim Tebow parents' prayer. I said, I'm not going to be a coward, and I'm not going to, well, just, you know, I mean, this is just me. I don't know how you, God, I, I want a son. Now, had he given me a girl, praise God for the girl. I could have had 20 girls, praise God. He has a plan for that. I prayed for a son. God, I want a son. God, I, I want a son, and I want my son to love you. I want my son to, to worship you. I want a son, God, that, that I can train up in, in your ways, God, that will impact this earth. That's what I want, God. There's no buts. There's no, I want it. Now, of course, if, if I don't get them, of course. But, God, I, I want a son, and this is what I'm asking you for. And I'm going to have faith to believe that you're going to do it. I, that's, that's my prayer. Tim Tebow and their family asks for a son, they ask for a preacher, and you see what God has done in that. And I ask for it, and God has blessed us, and my wife is pregnant with a son. And, and so when, when we talk about, when we begin to share with people that, that we had a son, a lot of people say, oh, man, I know he's going to play football. Oh, man, he's going to be a machine. Oh, man, he's going to write plays. He's going to be, you know, they just begin to, talk about everything that God has used me to do, and they say, he's going to do this. And, and honestly, I play football, and I coach football, and I love football, and we win state championships, and we win city championships, and we get big old rings on our fingers to show people that we want it, and you don't want to see us, and we're going to beat you down. We do that. So I love football. Don't get me wrong. But honestly, I did not think for one minute about football when I prayed for, for my son. I wanted somebody that we can impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that can impact others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when people began to say that, it was like, oh, wow. I mean, yeah, foot, foot, football. And I thank God for that because I wanted a generational change. I wanted a world changer. So he talks about the ice cream daddy. And the fourth daddy talks about is the, um, the stepdaddy. And the stepdaddy... You have good stepdaddies, you have bad stepdaddies. The, the bad stepdaddy comes in, he steps in, and he molests the daughters. He steps in, and he messes up everything. He steps in, and he's just a pitiful example of a man. 
And then you have the good stepdaddy who steps in and make things right, who step in and take on to, to their kids like they're his own and take on to the family because that is his own and he takes responsibility. And you have the daddy, the true daddy. And I call him the salty daddy. That's an example in word and deed that provides for his family and that leads his family that doesn't leave the responsibility to the church, that doesn't leave the responsibility to the school, but leads his family. That's the true daddy who's going to be there, who's going to understand the word and going to lead his family in the ways of the Lord. That's the salty daddy. God has called us to be salt. He's called us to impact our families. And I tell these guys, man, I'm, I'm nothing. If I impact you all, but don't impact my own family. If everybody else loved Myron, but my family say that he's a different man, I've done nothing. I give all of it up. Because that's number one. And lead my family spiritually is number one. And lead, I lead a busy life, but that is number one. Man, that's number one. He's called us to be salty. To love him with our heart, mind, soul, and our strength. And I'm closing. I want to share this with you when... Before I gave, gave my life to the Lord in, in, in 1996, about three weeks prior to, it was a young lady that I was seeing at the time that somebody, I heard that she had been talking to a guy and I had a gun, a nine millimeter, and I took her to a park and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill you. I said, now, if you don't tell me who you're talking to, I'm going to, I, I need the truth out of you. I'm going to shoot you in this park. I didn't believe I was going to shoot the girl. I didn't think I was going to shoot her. And I, I mean, I didn't think that at all. I was just trying to get information out of her. And who knows? I probably would. I, I, don't, I don't think I was going to do anything. So, but I took her to this park. And when I took her to the park, I said, you're going to give me information. She didn't give me, she didn't give me any information. And I got my gun and I said, let me take a walk. I'm going to take this walk. But when I come back, you're going to tell me something. And I took a walk, and when I took a walk, I went and sat down on this bench. It was this white guy sitting on the bench. And he said, can I, can I talk to you, man? I said, yeah, yeah, you, you can talk to me. And he said, man, you know, it was this guy that, well, he began to say, you don't look like the type of guy that sleep around with a lot of women. You don't look like the type of guy that, you know, just, that just hangs out, that, that's at the club, that, that, that's really out there. You don't look like that type of guy. Now, everything that he said I didn't look like, that's the type of guy that I was. I'm like, I hang out, I got women, I mean, I'm, I'm that guy. He said, but you don't look like that type of guy. He, you look like a clean-cut guy, and he began to just speak into my life. And he said, can I share something with you? He said, my daughter um, was raped. He said, and she was raped, and, and just how frustrated he was about that. He said, and he ended up seeing the guy that raped his daughter. He said, and I, I forgave the guy. He said, he raped my daughter, but I forgave him. He said, and the reason that I forgave him is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. So I was able to forgive this guy, to look at this guy in his face and to tell him that I forgive you. And it's because of Jesus Christ. He didn't even ask me to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But before I left, he said, can I pray for you? And he prayed for me. He didn't ask me to, he just spoke into my life and he prayed, he prayed for me. And I went back to the truck, and I told the girl that I was seeing at that time, I said, you better be glad that white dude prayed for you, girl, because I was going to hurt you. 
We're going to get you, girl. And so when we went back to the, to the I mean, it, it was something that, that changed. I didn't get saved. I didn't surrender my life. I continued to sell drugs. But some time after that, I thought about this guy. And I thought about how God used him in my life and how he didn't know who he was talking to. He didn't know that he was talking to a drug dealer. He didn't know that he was speaking to someone who had a gun about 100 feet away from him, talking about killing somebody. And that wasn't his concern. He wasn't afraid that this black guy is going to hurt me in his paw. He wasn't, his concern was, let me share Jesus Christ with him. Let me be the salt of the earth. Let me be salty and share what God has done in my life. He didn't ask me to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But what he did, the seed that he planted in my life, it helped change my life. He didn't know and he don't know to this day that God has used the man that he shared with on that bench to touch the lives of thousands of people. But because he was salty and he may not ever know it until he get to heaven, that God used him in that way. But because he was salty, because he shared his faith, because he communicated and he wasn't afraid to share what Jesus Christ did in his life, God used his testimony. To touch my life. And gentlemen, just as we leave today, I just want to challenge every one of you to be salty, to be a salty CEO, a CFO, COO, finance guy, human resource guy, a guy that's retired, a financial guy. Be salty. Allow God to use you in your workplace. Be a salty husband, a salty father. When people see you, let them see Christ. Let them see Christ. Paul said, Peter, you make the Gentiles speak blasphemy about God. Because when, when the foreigners come around, when the Gentiles come around, you act funny and you get up. And you make people speak blasphemy about God. How is our conversation when we're talking to unbelievers, when we're talking to people? And they may not tell us, but man, this how how is he cursing and he expecting me to be, man, I don't want that. He's saying he goes to church and I see he's doing the same things and, and he's living the same way and, and I, I don't want that. He said, you make the Gentiles be blasphemy about God. And we don't want our kids and our community and our coworkers and our employees to say, you know what? Jesus is nothing because I see Bob, I see Tom and I see his life. And I see how he conducts business and how he does things. And he goes to church. He even has a position in church. But man, he's phony and he's fake. He's called us to be the salt of the earth. Gentlemen, let's go and be the salt of the earth and impact this generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the hands and the feet of God. And we don't work for his salvation. But because of his salvation, we work. Get involved. Get plugged in. There's a community that need you. There's a kid that need you. There's a ministry that need you. And they need you to be salty. And you can make a difference. Well, I'm this white guy. What are you? This guy was white and he was talking to a drug dealer. He knew nothing about it. God is not into that. He's in the red. His blood being shed on the cross. That's what he's into. And we've been redeemed. Let's show it by what we say 
about what we do. Gentlemen, go and be salty. God bless.